1: If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host.
0: This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. This week's episode is a continuation of my conversation with Alessandro Albiani, the product lead for AI at Digital. In the first part of our conversation, Alessandro shared his editor-centric approach to building AI products. This week, we discuss how Ipin Digital is working on fine-tuning large language models for specific newsroom tasks. And Alessandro also talks about his experience as a 2022 Journalism AI Fellow, where he collaborated with colleagues at the Times of London to develop a tool and methodology for journalists to track manipulated narratives. I want to get into actually just go back to those three different examples in the beginning. You spoke about the generative AI products that you have. You have this prototyping tool and also this another ability for summarization and everything included right within your CMS. And then you also have this text to image illustration tool where editors are able to prompt and then get illustrations that can go along with your story ideas. But you also mentioned about the process of fine-tuning large language models on your newsroom data. I want to get a lot more into that. I haven't heard about yet a lot of newsrooms openly talking about fine-tuning. So I want to understand, first of all, What was the use case for which you went ahead and decided to fine-tune on your newsroom's data? And what has that kind of process been like? How resource-intensive has it been?
1: So the idea is leveraging the huge amount of content, especially on a regional and local base that we have, in order to improve the quality of the AI-powered tools when it comes to especially to editing and generate or reversion content. So this is the first challenge. And the second one is the language challenge that is specific to German. Let me give you just one example. In German, if you like to quote someone in an indirect way, then you use a specific verb form And this is the subjunctive. And usually, it's the indirect speech or reported speech. Usually, if you use an LLM out of the box, then you don't get the subjunctive, but the indicative. So what happens here, it's basically you you got wrong contributions. You attribute something to someone who basically didn't say that, or Let's say this this way, you need to make it clear to your readers that what you have been writing is not coming from you as a journalist, but from a person you have been quoting without using quotes in direct speech. And this is something that LLMs that have been usually trained on huge English-speaking texts uh, struggle with. So it's uh, basically, these are the main two but especially the first one, ideas and goals we have. Especially the first one, because we are, and the first one, I mean the amount of content we have. Because it's really, since we are very strong, traditionally, historically strong, in several regions in Germany, that means we have a bunch of data that you won't usually find, in an LLM, out of the box. And of course, we want to leverage that those data. And we believe that fine-tuning and rank retrieval augmented generation are basically probably the best way to achieve our goals in our AI strategy. That's why there's basically the first pillar, fine-tuning, Can talk about rag later. Fine-tuning—it's really crucial to us. So basically, what happened here is we set up very precise requirements, and the first one was, of course, we wanted to have open source to fine-tune an open source model, not a proprietary model. This model had to offer a commercial license and very important. It has to be, basically, this model has to be pre-trained on German language texts, not just on texts or articles that have been translated into German. So, basically, we listed more than 200 potential candidates out of several thousands LLMs, and we started fine-tuning together, and I think this is extremely important, developers and editors, because we started fine-tuning LLMs to build task-specific LLMs, so LLMs that are best suited to reach a specific goal. And that's why it's important to have, again, the editor in the loop, giving feedback on the quality and accuracy of the results. We have a dedicated team working on this. And we used, I think this is really important because it's something that can be done even by smaller companies because we basically decided to apply an efficient fine-tuning framework that is based on LoRa, And basically this enables us to keep costs down. That's why this is an approach that basically makes fine-tuning accessible even to organizations that have fewer resources than larger companies.
0: And what was the task uh, that you were trying to train the LLM specifically on? Was it mainly the German nuances over there?
1: Really depends on the particular use case. That's what I meant with a task-specific. If you have, for example, an LLM that is fine-tuned for generating uh, headlines or leads or summaries and so on. So it's really important, first of all, of course, to reach an accuracy that is higher than a proprietary model. So this is, for example, something that was really important to us. And it's really task-specific, and that's why, again, it's important to have editors in the loop that help us, The help us, basically, evaluating the accuracy. And I think when it comes to costs, using an efficient fine-tuning process makes it possible, basically, to fine-tune just a fraction of the parameters and still achieve very good results.
0: And can you talk to me more exactly on how long did this process really take you and where in that journey are you right now?
1: We have been still fine-tuning uh, models and we started a couple of months ago. So it's not something that takes, definitely not doesn't take years. And um, when you start, it was really interesting to see that you really, you can experience, at some point you experience a leap in the performance that you got. But we were lucky, and I think this is really important for all media companies, that if you would like to start fine-tuning, you definitely need prep work. For us, it was crucial to have already, we're talking here about millions of articles that we, we could use for fine-tuning models. So having data already pre-selected and structured data that you can use in the right form for this task is crucial. And I think this helped us making the process, speeding up this process, definitely.
0: Yeah, exactly. And as you were saying, I think fine-tuning is a lot for like language-specific tasks and getting them to perform a task. And now when we go to retrieval augmented generation, that's basically kind of creating a chat GPT on a specific knowledge base. So that's able to go and pull out content and then also able to cite where they got this information from. So that's kind of the purpose of retrieval augmented generation. So as you were saying, fine-tuning along with RAG as with what we call retrieval augmented generation is basically kind of the sweet spot that you want to get to with your models for any specific task. So can you now talk more about what the purpose of RAG was, where have you been using that in your um, generative AI use cases?
1: Sure. We have several, we have been developing several and working on several use cases based on RAG. Let me give you just an example, uh, chatbots, reader-facing chatbots. Let's assume you are reading a story and you don't have enough context on the story. So basically... You can use a chatbot that is integrated into the article to ask for additional context. And the information that you get are not coming from an LLM. That means are not all the information that you get. But basically, this knowledge base is made up of our own articles. This is really important to us You don't want to present to your readers uh, information that are outdated and not reliable. And this is just an example. Or you would like to, for example, there's a case of a follow-up story. So let's assume there's a criminal case that happened some time ago. So you would like to ask what happened since then. And you have a bunch of articles in your archive. On what happened but instead of basically writing a completely new article since then so basically you can as a reader you can ask for this information because maybe you would like to know what happened since then you don't know it anymore so you'll be basically using our own article database to generate a reliable answer to that and still, I think there's a third component that is extremely important to us, and is agents. And building agents-based workflow is at least as important as fine-tuning and rug. Because, for example, this is something that we have been thinking a lot in terms of fighting disinformation. Can you make sure... That you use an agents-based system to basically double-check the information that you have been ideally during the writing process. Is it possible to get an assistant that is basically agents-based that is double-checking the information for you? It's basically checking if those information are reliable and using. External sources that have been already pre selected because we know they are reliable from our journalistic perspective.
0: And so, if I'm understanding this correctly, the way you are creating these reader facing chatbots is not just rag on top of like a knowledge base, but because that's usually my big concern, if you're just going to create a rag chatbot. There are concerns of hallucination because even if it is pulling out the citations or the appropriate sources... It could be pulling out something that is like two weeks old, for example, that might have been on a similar story, and then you are inherently risking misinformation, which is definitely not something that we want to do. And that's sometimes what happens with the normal like GPT connected to the internet or Microsoft Copilot or BARD, where they accidentally are able to give you wrong information. You're taking that one step further at IPIN, basically, by creating these AI agents, which act autonomously to go and validate and double check whether those citations are correct with the answer and only then show the answer to the audience. Is that the way you're having like a fact-checking AI agent, basically?
1: It's one of the approaches we follow, yes. I think there is an uh, overarching goal here, and it's basically the idea of tool chaining. I think we spent, really, last year, we spent a lot of time talking about something that I think is a false problem. And that is basically, you already rich, artificial, general intelligence or not. And I think, basically, we spend far too little time and resources thinking about new AI-assisted workflows. And I think we think a lot about tool chaining. A couple of days ago, uh, Jurgen Klopp, who is the German manager of the family club Liverpool, resigned. And I think this is a great example of what I mean with tool chaining. His decision was basically explained in a video. It is a 24-minute long video released by Liverpool. So if you're a sport journalist, how do we approach this video? Usually you just... Press play, and you look at this video for 24 minutes, and then you take notes. And if you are a German journalist, you have to translate it into German. And at some point, you have to translate the quotes and make sure that you translated everything fine. And then at some point, you start writing an article about that and write your story. And maybe sometimes even suggesting a short text, for example, for a media post, or you just hand it over to your social team. So how can you address it in an AI-powered uh, workflow? So basically, you can, and we have been already experimenting with those kind of chains, you can use AI to transcribe, of course, this text. And you can start translating it. You can extract quotes. You can generate a summary. You can even, if you would like to, you can generate a first draft of your story. You can double-check. That's why it's really important to have the self-evaluating system. You can double-check all the information that you have in, for example, the extracted quotes or in the summary are in line with the original transcript. And at the end of the day, as a journalist, you have saved a lot of time that you can invest in, for example, writing an opinion case on this or looking for someone to interview so it's basically building a modular approach modules that you can basically combine and based on your need and that's why i think we talk about a lot so far about single silo approach I, I can build basically an headline suggestion tool i can build bullet points summary tool but combining basically, the different tools. I think this kind of approach has a huge potential to free up our journalists and give them time they need to do original reporting.
0: So I really like the way you've explained that entire approach that you've been taking on over there, this this modular way in which you have been combining all these different AI tools. Because I agree with you, us talking about just one article, then getting a headline suggestion, then getting a summary, it's breaking that down into multiple parts where I think the future is headed, is all of these autonomous AI agents where you put that one video article and then automatically you're getting all of these bullet points, summaries, what are the different questions, the different angles, the headlines, bullet points. You can create like the illustrations possibly even right from that by combining the way you're taking transcription tools and then putting GPT on top putting maybe a DALI API, any of these image APIs, all of that, combining them together in one. And so I really like the way in which you have identified this whole modular approach to AI that you all have been working on. What I'm very interested in knowing as well, as you're so involved in AI at IPIN, is where do you put in those guardrails around AI? And how are you kind of bringing in all of those ethical considerations when you are developing your products? I know you have a very editor-centric AI approach, but even through that, what are the kind of do's and don'ts that you'll have in place?
1: There's no full automation. I think this is really, this is key, because fully automating applications, AI applications, are probably the best way to destroy trust in Mm -hmm the media industry. So that's why it's really important to have uh, this approach. It's probably just semi-automated or half-automated, if you like, too. And I think when it comes to guardrails, it's really important to think of AI as a supporting tool for our journalists. How can I augment augment, basically, the way they work, I a kind of I AI system. And I think if you start thinking this way, basically, you don't fall victim to the idea that you might develop products top-down. And I think this is extremely important. We talked about transparency towards readers. I think this is also an extremely important Aspect is to educate, it's about educating readers as well, and to make the use of AI transparent.
0: So, I'm really curious because you've been diving really deep into all of these different AI experiments and products that you have been building out. So, I want to understand more from your experience so far where are the major limitations you think that are currently there with large language models that you've been seeing? That is right now it's not capable of for newsrooms i'll
1: give you an example in our work we realized that we noticed that quite often llms tend to add a short summary at the very end of when you reversion articles for example for a different platform they tend to add a kind of summary Uh, we don't know why it doesn't make absolutely No sense, no one wants to have a summary at the end of an article.
0: (laughs) Nothing makes sense with large language models. Not really.
1: And this is something uh, that of course is annoying if you don't build a system to basically avoid this from, or prevent this from happening. This is of course something you don't want to see online. And this is something that is annoying for editors as well. And generally speaking, I think those are a risk. The risk is that at some point, editors will get used to high quality results coming from LLM and won't be as careful as they are today in reviewing those outputs coming from LLMs. And In order to assess this challenge, we have started, for example, highlighting, for example, quotes or information in the output text and in the original text. So editors can immediately compare the results and see, okay, is the quote in the new summary or reversion article Really, the same quote as in the original article. We have been working a lot on quote accuracy. Something I have one year, a year ago. I worked with. A- it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax,
0: and think about
1: work.
0: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on
1: LinkedIn.com/people today. Nick Tiekovolos as well on this challenge, and since then we're still struggling with this challenge, I think we found a very good and reliable way to fix that. Mm, but still, you want to make sure that editors don't just rely on a technical solution and double-check everything.
0: What's the solution? How are you trying to make sure that the code is accurate?
1: Basically, we implemented an advanced approach that is based on the approach we built back then together with Nick Diakopoulos. So basically what we do is, first of all, it's extracting quotes and in the first step. And the second step is telling the LLM to perform a task and make sure that those quotes that have been extracted in the first step remain unchanged. And this is something that you can do on a personal level if you just work at home with your ChatGPT. But if you try with ChatGPT, but if you try to basically scale, and please be aware that we as Ipn, we basically run around 60 news portals all across Germany. We have around 250 online editors across nine editorial offices. So, when it comes to scale, a particular use case, you want to make sure that you have a reliable solution that is not built on using, on your own, a prompt telling first the AI to extract the quotes and then rinse out them. Because you want to, basically, what we have been trying to do is making sure that editors don't need to prompt LLMs themselves. They have other strengths. Their strength is our reporting. That's why we have dedicated prompt editors in the team. Of course, when they do internships with our team, they learn a lot about prompting. But in their daily operations, they don't. So it's a combination. How do we approach this challenge? It's a combination of a two-step approach in prompting and combined with this system that we have built together with our AI engineers to highlight the content in the output text in order to make it easier for the editors to double-check the output content with the original and compare it with the original content and see if it matches
0: really that's makes the work easier I would say for editors because sometimes just the human tendency to just overlook certain things you are building in those kind of checkpoints for people to just make sure by highlighting the original versus the new AI generated ones it's easier for people to just make sure that they don't miss out on a quote and make sure that it is factually correct and it's not miscoding anything because even though you've built in all of these different checkpoints within the AI system and all of these techniques, it still has the capability from time to time to accidentally make a mistake because we still don't have, it's not deterministic. Like with these large language models, we don't know how they might perform. And you don't want to miss out on that one case that goes wrong and it goes on your website and then leads to AI issues. So I really, I find that very kind of fascinating the way you have thought through that entire process over there. And there's so much of AI innovation here to unpack, really, Alessandro. This is really fascinating. I feel like I can talk to you about days for it, but I just quickly want to know, is there any other kind of innovative projects your team's currently working on that we need to keep an eye out for? Like any exciting things on the horizon right now?
1: I think the reversioning is something we have been focusing a lot on and personalization. And I mentioned the idea of building and the approach to building chat boards. As well, this is just one of the approaches we have been taking right now. Self-assessing the output is a huge topic. And, of course, we would like to expand the number of use cases we apply it on.
0: What do you mean by self-assessing the outputs? Like, you are creating the and then your team self-evaluates all of the different outputs. Are you putting that across through editors or just within your team? It's
1: basically, when, it, when I talk about self-evaluating, it's basically, it's the idea that an LLM is able to basically self-evaluate the quality of the, and we want to expand the number of, of use cases we use this approach for. And what we are going, definitely going to invest resources on is misinformation and how can we make sure that we build ai powered tools to assist teams doing for example fact checking and this is something that where i see a huge potential i know that ai has uh, limitations on that a human reviewer cannot Be replaced and i think this is extremely important to get to understand by an ai system when it comes to fact-checking but still you can build tools that support them and i think especially when it comes we have elections this year in several countries not only the us in germany as well and i think we have already seen in the last weeks and days The risk of synthetic media going viral. So I think this is something we are going to put a lot of attention on, because this is definitely something we don't want to. We want to address that we definitely want to address. I think it's important to get in order to get the broader picture to move forward on AI tools means to us to help especially. Only totally our editors, but let's put it this way we don't have a regional media company. We are not, we don't know in Germany, and then we are very lucky about that. We don't have situation like news deserts in the US, but still, we struggle finding enough journalists on a local level and a regional level. So building even more assistance that already how we when we talk about building a system we always talk and think about modular assistance then we at the end of the day basically build tools to give them the possibility to improve their reporting and basically free them from repetitive tasks and give them time back basically. Because as I said, we don't find enough journalists as we would like to.
0: And the misinformation that you're trying to work on right now, I know that's a problem you have worked on previously as well through like the Journalism AI Fellowship that you were a part of, working with a team from the Times newsroom where you all built a tool called Parrot that basically helps identify and track manipulated news. And so you have that extensive background over there trying to deal with that kind of misinformation over there. Talk to me more about, actually, I'm very interested in the Journalism AI Fellowship. Where is that tool now? And what was that specific use case that, how successful were you in solving it at that time? This is now 2021, I believe, right?
1: It was 2022. It was 2022. And I can remember, we present a tool during the Journalism AI Festival, the beginning of December 2022. And I can remember right before the Journalism AI Festival, I prompted ChatGPT, and ChatGPT was released back then, just a week before the Journalism AI Festival. And I asked ChatGPT to give me a list of uh, sites. You can find basically US run biolabs in Ukraine. And of course, US biolabs is one of the narratives, manipulated narratives we started during this fellowship. And back then, ChatGPT just hallucinated a list of and of course this is a hoax there, no US biolabs. Ukraine, but JetGPT back then basically hallucinated, just made up a list of sites in Ukraine where you can't find US run biolabs. The tool, basically, the idea was to develop a tool and a methodology to help journalists identify and analyze the spread of manipulated narratives from state run media on social networks, social media networks. So, basically, the idea is to use AI, and the goal was to use AI to create an early warning system for journalists. And basically, the idea is to detect coordinated efforts to push manipulated narratives into the media landscape. And so, basically, what we we have done back then is collecting over 400,000 articles from Strad- state run media outlets from Russia, like Russia Today or Sputnik. And we basically selected 25,000 articles about Ukraine and we grouped them semantically into 200 topics. And we used, it was just a six month project, so we used a pre trained machine learning model to assign a propaganda score to each of those narratives of topics and each article. And then, back then, you could still use the academic and developer access to Twitter, to X. So basically, we used the URLs of 8,000 articles and in order to collect data on how those articles were spread on X on Twitter back then. And the idea is to get a better understanding on how those narratives get spread on social media, and even if I mean the journalist may project is handled, the project still uh, lives on because we back then we worked with a US startup called SimPeople on to develop this uh, methodology, and SimPeople. We're still in touch with swapping swapping meta from sync people. And they kept refining this methodology and started looking into different social media networks as well. Uh, For example, tools social, or even they started analyzing YouTube as well. But still, this is an extremely important challenge to us. Even now, and it's getting more and more important to us to better understand the coordinated and authentic behaviors on social media. We have been working on writing assistance for our editors, meaning that during the writing process, an AI-powered system will recommend relevant information from reliable sources. And here is, again, a combination of RUG and agents and from external sources to enhance the article. And of course, we would like to use a similar model to interact as well, to interact with documents, personal documents. And a second project we have as well is enhanced reversioning, basically leverage data to create even more personalized, more targeted versions of an article, and we see there is a huge potential uh, for our readers.
0: Can you give me more of an example of what you mean by what level of personalization are you talking about there?
1: There are several possible approaches we have been. Let's assume you are more interested in getting background of a story. We can basically serve you with this kind of story or with this, that version of the article that is putting the background of a story. or it's a, serving, delivering additional information because you are more into because we know you're more interested in this kind of information. This is basically, and I think this is extremely fascinating, was this old concept of modular journalism. It's something we call intelligent content. And it's the idea that you can basically you see an article as a modular piece of content. And this is usually something that is, if you do it manually, it's an extremely time-consuming task. But now you have the possibility to do it in a reliable way and to enhance article even more. And but still, when it comes to versioning or reversioning article, it's also about building and generating versions for different platforms. We have been, of course, looking and we, like, we see huge potential there as well. It's basically starting and different formats as well. Written article to audio, to video, and so on. So starting playing across platforms and across formats. But always, and I think it's extremely important, always within very clear guardrails. And always having the human in the loop, avoiding something that's basically going there that is not factual, uh, accurate.
0: And so I also want to get a bit deeper into that concept of modular journalism, because I think that's so important for personalization and the level of personalization that you're talking about. When you talk about modular journalism, instead of viewing a story as like the single entity that has been written, what you're talking about is seeing it as a collection of parts, like a collection of modules that are then broken down and then you can enhance content and then create those personalized versions for it. I know a lot of newsrooms right now are getting into this idea and trying to understand modular journalism. So I want to break that down a bit more in terms of how does that work for you, like in that process currently? How do you build out that kind of pipeline, basically, for modular journalism that you can then go and enhance with more information and create that level of personalization that you're talking about?
1: The starting point is always, we can't stress it enough, always a human written article, always. And let's take an example, an article about a poll, about the, let's say, the German government. Basically, there are several ways you can... By the way, this is a real example. We have been a use case. We have been working with our colleagues from the politics uh, department. Let's assume you have a story about a poll. Basically, there are several ways you can explain that story. For example, you can say something like the uh, government coalition is basically losing more and more supporters in Germany. You could say that's this way. Or you you could say something like the, let's say, political party, specific political party without going into details, is getting more and more traction. These are basically two completely different story angles and there are readers and i think this is the next step publications within our network where you can basically serve the story that is the same story written by a journalist but with two different angle from two different angles You can serve the story to different readers and different publications and basically we have been experimenting on it in two different ways. So you can, as a political journalist, you can decide which kind of story angle you want to get from an LLM, And you get different stories based on those story angles that you have manually picked, or you get suggestions. Let's assume you're not an experienced political journalist. You get suggestions about different story angles. So you get the possibility, basically, to deliver, not only to different readers, but as I say, to different news portals, different story angles from different stories that are manually written. The journalist is involved at all in all stages, first of all, manually written, at the end of the journey, manually reviewed. And in between, you have AI as an intro basically a tutorial assistant for you.
0: I think this is the approach that helps us cater and build out a more personalized news experience something that I've been talking a lot about because when you go onto social media or you go onto any of these algorithms they have this personalized experience built in for you and that's something which modular journalism would be able to help us create more of a personalized reading experience create that news experience for audience because at the end of the day when they come and they're opening your app They want to see something that's also tailored to them and rather than something that's generic. And that's the innovation you have. It's not just like a print newspaper now digital, but you're also creating that experience for readers that's there. This conversation has just been so fascinating, Alessandro. There's so much, I feel like I'm here to go in more deeper into all of this. I'm very excited to hear a lot more about all of these writing assistants and the innovation that's going to come that you've been working on a lot more. But I'm also very curious, the man behind all of these these products that you are helping out building editorial AI products at IPIN, how are you using AI in your own personal life? What has that impact been for you?
1: In very different ways. Just an example. My girlfriend is German. is from Berlin. I was born in Italy. My girlfriend has been trying to learn Italian for a while. So basically, we developed basically a multi-prompt process, let's say this this way, in the ChatGPT app to help her learn additional words and phrases and basically it is a uh, language system for her and it's a sort of yeah a system that can even ask questions and even correct answers she's actually very happy with that i will say
0: i love it
1: but, but still, we don't talk Italian or uh, German.
0: But it's slowly, it's like a more personalized Duolingo app, I'd say, maybe, <laughs> helping out with uh, with that.
1: Just to quote uh, at the end of the day, you have to learn the language, you know, ChatGPT won't do it for you.
0: <laughs> but it, it's performing well in Italian then, I guess,
1: as well. It's performing surprisingly well, I would say, yeah.
0: Well, okay, so you're a language tutor for your girlfriend. There you go, an Italian language tutor that you have built out. Exactly. Well, Alessandro, I'm so so excited by what you're what you've been building, and a lot of this AI innovation that you've been talking about has been it's been refreshing and new to hear about, and I love the way in which your team has really put editors at the center of it. And I think that stems from your own personal experience, seeing what happened at Microsoft News and seeing what happens when we replace human journalists with AI, rather than augmenting the work of human journalism with AI. And that's what you've been focused on. And the way you've built that culture and that whole process that you've spoken about absolutely love it. I'm going to be dissecting this conversation a lot more after we hit stop recording and thinking through a lot of this. And it's been such a fascinating conversation, Alessandro. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining me on Newsroom Robots. Thank you. That was Alessandro Alviani, the product lead for AI at Ipin Digital. Stay updated with the Newsroom Robots podcast and sign up for our newsletter at newsroomrobots.com. This podcast is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots.